I want to talk today about uh, honoring the Lord's Day. Honoring the Lord's Day. Uh, some of you have heard about Sabbath, and uh, it's very easy to relegate the Sabbath to the Old Testament. Uh, it's very easy to say, well, now we're in the New Testament, and we don't have, to, we don't have any Sabbath. But uh, what I want you to do is to understand the principle behind the Sabbath, all right? You see, there are a lot of things, um, there are a lot of practices uh, that uh, took place in the Old Testament, and I want you to be more concerned about the principles, you know, than following exactly everything that they did in the Old Testament. There's a reason why God told them to do certain things a certain way. So if you understand the principles, then you find out that you can do um, things right and still serve God. You know? So God gave them a specific day in the Old Testament to have to honor. In fact, they were not supposed to cook or, or work on that day. They were just supposed to serve God and rest. And I mean, so rest is good, by the way. Amen? You know? So are we going to go to the Word of God and let's see what the Lord will have us to learn today. In Exodus chapter 20. The Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, from verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, I want to talk a little bit as we go, before we get to verse 8, you know, talking about the Sabbath. Now, when you read through the scriptures, right from the Old Testament especially, because God chose the people of Israel in the, under the Old Testament to work with, to give us an idea uh, of how he would want to work with his people under the New Testament. So God dealt with the people of Israel uh, from a physical point of view because their bondage was a physical bondage. It was in a physical uh, geographical location in Egypt. Their deliverance was a physical deliverance. And uh, their travel to the promised land was a physical one. Their enemies were physical ones. Their battles were physical ones. All right? So, but in the New Testament, you know, the bondage, of course, the people in the Old Testament were also spiritually in bondage. But God just used that physical idea to bring us an understanding. And so the, our deliverance uh, through Christ Jesus in the New Testament is a spiritual one. The Bible says that we have been translated from the power of darkness into the kingdom of God. So we've been delivered, rather, from the power of darkness. We've been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom. Just like God delivered Israel from Egypt and took them into his promised land. So God, that deliverance, uh, when you committed your life to Jesus... It wasn't, yes, you did it verbally and physically, but the translation and the deliverance was first and foremost a spiritual one. You didn't have to take any journey necessarily, you know, from one, uh, from darkness literally to, to light. No, no, no. It took place, you know, just instantaneously. And then the Bible says today our battles are not necessarily physical. We wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So our battles today are not necessarily physical, although we use our physical bodies to engage in those spiritual battles because we use our bodies to pray, don't we? You know, we use our mouths to pray. But then 
the, the battles, the demonic powers we are dealing with, they are not like those nations Israel had to fight physically using bows and arrows. You see, the weapons of our warfare, the Bible says, are not carnal. So we are not using swords. We are not using matches. We are not using bows and arrows. What are these weapons God has given us in the New Testament? The name of Jesus is a weapon. The word of God is a weapon. Hallelujah. And God is working in us and through us and with us by the power of his Holy Spirit to give us victory. So the, the, the fight is, is there, but it is different. Praise God. But there's something I want you to notice here. That there are um, certain guidelines that God gave his people only. He didn't give to the whole world. Just like as Christians, there, there, there are certain requirements that God has put down for those who believe in Christ. God has put in the word of God how those who believe in Christ should act like. How they are supposed to behave. How they are supposed to conduct themselves. Their attitude. Everything. He didn't say that to the whole world. There are things that God requires of those who believe in him. Why? Because he has done a work in you. Notice that God, he said here, he said, because I am the one that delivered you, because of that, you are not to have any God before me. He didn't say that to the whole world. Next, really. Of course, he wants the whole world to believe in him and put all their idols aside. But he gave his people this specific assignment, I mean uh, guideline. He said, because I am the Lord your God, I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I delivered you. In our case, God delivered us from the power of darkness, from the power of Satan. And we belong in the kingdom of God. So because he is the one that delivered us, so he says we are to have nobody else above him. So that's, you cannot just throw away the Ten Commandments. Because they are still applicable. You understand the principle here. That God who delivered you desires and reserves the right to be first in your life. Oh yeah, didn't he deliver you? He did. So God said to them, because I am the one that delivered you. I am the one that saved you. I am the one that rescued you. Because of that, I deserve to have first place in your life. You shall have no other God before me. He didn't say that to the rest of the people and nations around. And then he goes on. He said, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that's in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me, and keep my commandments. Notice, these things are still applicable today. You know, this is not what I'm talking about. This, we can do another, you know, message from here altogether. But I want us to get to verse 8. Um, by the way, let's do that, verse 7. Verse 7 says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, uh, you would have said, well, God was telling this to his people in the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, they were not supposed to do that. So does it mean that today we can do, take the name of the Lord anyhow? 
Because you hear people, small details. Even unbelievers, people who don't know Christ. Well, if they do that, because they don't know what they are saying. We should use the name of the Lord with a clear understanding, with a clear purpose. Not just as a way of exclamation or, or expressing certain things. Small thing, Jesus. You know, something starts to say, Jesus. No. We are not to use the name of the Lord anyhow. In my own English, anyhowly. You don't use the name of the Lord anyhowly. You have to use the name of the Lord with a clear sense of purpose. And that is why it will work for you if you use the name of Jesus rightly and with a sense of purpose and with faith. Remember in Acts chapter 3, when Peter and John were passing by and the, the person that was begging, and the Lord, the anointing of God came from Peter and they said, rise up, Peter and John. They said to him, rise up. And later on they were questioning this guy and he said, why are you surprised? It's, it's, it's his true faith in his name. That you see this man walking through faith in the name of Jesus. There are people mentioning, talking about the name of Jesus. They have no faith in the name. You've got to have faith in the name. There is power in the name. The Bible says God has given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Even sickness must bow. Even animals must bow. I'll never forget 1983. You know, my, my immediate senior brother, David, he's also a pastor back in Nigeria. You know, we were visiting a particular neighborhood, you know, one of these rich neighborhoods in Nigeria, and they have all these dogs. You know, these, wild, these dogs, big, big dogs. So for some reason, one of these dogs had come out of the gate, through the gate, and we were passing. The, the, the thing, just that big dog just came charging at us. And my brother, David, said, hey, stay there in the name of Jesus. I will never forget that dog just stood there. And we passed and went. So the name of Jesus works. Oh, yes. Where you don't just use it around. You don't just go around and then you see if, you know, something there and say, oh, the name of Jesus there. Oh, you stay there just like that. No, no, no. <laughs> no. But if you were to come under legitimate danger, oh, my God. I tell you, if you were to come under legitimate danger and you use that name through faith in the name, God will deliver you. Amen. Just like the Bible says that you should drink anything deadly, it shall not hurt you. There was, you know, a, a missionary, I think a group of them actually, they went to minister in one place like that, and so the, the villagers caught them, and uh, they said they were going to kill them. And so they decided that they were going to give them poison to drink. And uh, they were, well, the people behind them, of course, they were, were you know, holding weapons to attack them if they didn't drink the poison. So they looked at each other and they prayed. They said, well, the Bible says, if we drink anything deadly, it shall not hurt us. So we are not deciding to drink poison on purpose. We are being forced to do so. We will do it in faith, believing in the power of God, that this poison will not work. They prayed. And they drank the poison. They were looking at them to die. They didn't die. And of course, it turned out to be a revival. Hallelujah. So, you know, the Bible talking about snakes. We are not talking about you going behind your house looking for snakes. No. You know, I don't even want to talk of rats. Where some of you running up and down. 
Some human men, yeah, in the one house, it's their house. A small rat like this, you leave the house for a, for a small rat. <laughs> I mean, for goodness sake, Roger. Yes. Rat in the house and Moji runs away. I mean, uh -uh. I know, I know Gloria will not touch that. I know that. You leave your whole house for the rat. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. I, I think uh, you give me the house, is it? You know, <laughs> you know, something happened about uh, uh, close to 20 years ago. You know, somebody came to see me for prayers. You know, the person was under very serious demonic attack, satanic attack, witchcraft attack. And uh, it was so bad that, uh, you know, he would have a car, buy a car, and after a while, while driving this, a black bird that would just come and go under the car, and the engine would just stop, and no mechanic would repair the car. It happened twice, and the last vehicle, he abandoned it on the road in around West London area. And in fact, when he came to see me, he passed that car. The car had been there for a month. He left it there. He didn't want to touch it. So when he came to my office here, he told me about it. I prayed with him. He said he doesn't want to touch it. I said, what? Get me this uh, towing uh, vehicle. I'm going to get the car tow. I'm going to pray over the car. Do you know, just because I said I was going to get the car, by the time I prayed for him, he left the office. He went there. The car that he passed on his way to my office, by the time he got there, the car disappeared till today. You know? <laughs> because I said, well, you're afraid of it. I will have it. You know? I would have prayed about it. Which demon? Which demon? No demon will come and uh, uh, you know, just do that kind of a thing. You know, so there are demonic powers, but we have the authority in the name of Jesus. Amen. So don't use the name of Jesus carelessly. You know, Hollywood and Nollywood, uh, Bollywood people can use that, you know, carelessly. But we, that is our name, you know. That is our name. As a matter of fact, we have the sole reserve, you know, to use that. We have the authority to use it. It's only Christians. They have authority to use that name, seriously speaking. You know, in the book of Acts, the seven sons of Sceva, who did not believe in Jesus, they tried to cast out demons in the name of Jesus. What happened? The madman overcame them, and they ran away naked and wounded. So they had no right. And the, the demons spoke through that mad person and said, look, Paul, I know, Jesus, I know, but who are you? You don't have the, the grounds to use the name of Jesus. So, but those of us that have believed in Jesus, we have the right to use that name. Hallelujah. So God, you know, gave his name to his people. Said they were not to use his name anyhow. But that's not what I'm going either. <laughs> right now, you know, you can see there's a lot of things to talk about. But verse 8, let's go to verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within you, your, your gates. Verse 11, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, 
and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. So the Lord set aside the seventh day specially. But he told his people, but you see, uh, if you were to read through the scriptures, you, you will notice that, uh, you know, like I said, just like God gave commandments to his people, he didn't give, th there are things that he said to the whole world, but there are things he said to his people. You will not see this about before uh, uh, Exodus chapter 16. From between Genesis, you know, and Exodus 15, you will not see the word Sabbath. It, it, it begins to appear from Genesis, uh, Exodus chapter 16, after you know, God uh, delivered them uh, uh, from Egypt. So he began to give them these commandments. They were to remember this special day, and they were also to remember uh, it as uh, how God created the world and rested the seventh day. But also they were to use it to remember their deliverance from Egypt. Um, but God said they should honor this particular day. So the question is, uh, you know, what of us today? Do we have any Sabbath day to honor? But by the way, if we look at what God told them, I want us to understand the principle. Because I want us to go more by the principle but, uh, than by the fact that, well, we have a specific day. Yes, we do have a specific day Sunday, but not as stipulated as in the Old Testament. I have a brother, my, one of my friends who works with the United Nations, Brother Otnev, he's been here many times. He's in Sudan. In Sudan, they go to church on Friday. So, you know, so church, it's, on, it's Friday that because of the way the nation is. So Christians had to pick Friday as their own service day. So they go to work Saturday or Sunday and so on and so forth and things like that. But the, the principle behind it is that because God created you, he delivered you, he saved you. There should be a day set aside that you honor him. That on that day you remember him specifically and specially. On that day you praise him. On that day you worship him. And on that day you go to a place of worship like this. It's very, very significant. I want us to, uh, in Exodus chapter 31, I think it should be on the screen also, um, Exodus 31, uh, you know, he didn't open it up, right? And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbath you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. That means I've set you aside. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. So God told them that a particular day, they should set it aside specifically to honor God. It's a way of showing appreciation to God that, Lord, you have given me, you know, six days to do whatever I want to do. But this one day, you know, there's always a principle, just like tithes and offering. Tithes. One-tenth. You know, God has blessed you. God says, okay, just one-tenth. Bring it to the house of God to support God's work. You know, in God, in fact, in the Old Testament, he even told them the first male child is his. See, God always wants the first fruits. He does, it's a, a principle to show that God is first in your life. What day? What day? The seventh day, they said. But our own day today, whatever, whichever day that is chosen that we have decided to serve God, that becomes our own Sabbath. In this case, Sunday. But let's see what the Lord said to them about this in Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah 58, on the screen, verse 13, if you turn away your foot 
from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. My, 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 my. My goodness. If we did that, if we were just to take these principles, these things here, forget about whether we are calling Sunday Sabbath or whatever it is. That's not the issue. The issue is that we have a day, I mean, around the world, probably 98% of believers or maybe 95% of believers, apart from those who, or maybe the Sabbath uh, uh, churches, some Sabbath churches and things like that, of believers, you know, we use Sunday as a day of worship. So if we were to just do what God asked his people to do in the Old Testament, there's something to it, which we'll read in a minute. But I want us to go back and say, you know, say that, uh, verse 13, from doing, it said, you should turn away your foot from the Sabbath or from God's own day. Let's call this on Sunday. From doing your pleasure on my holiday. So Sunday, you know, it is not wrong to dedicate Sunday for worshiping God, for serving God. It is not wrong. It is right. And call the Sabbath a delight. You delight in going to serve God, going to the house of God on a Sunday. He said, the holiday of the Lord, honorable. You honor it. And I thank God. Hallelujah. I know. We honor God. I'm sure we do. That's why you come to church at the time that you do. Depends on how you honor the Lord. That's why you dress. Well, because why is you dress, you know, many people don't understand that the way you dress, you know, is an indication of whether or not you honor your audience, you honor the people, you honor the person you are going to see. If you are going to see the queen, you don't just dress anyhow. You have to dress well. It doesn't matter how rough you are. You are. If you are a rough dresser, you are going to meet the queen, you can't just dress anyhow. Why? Because you want to honor the queen. All around the world, since I was a boy in the village in Africa, when we were going to church, we wore our best, whatever, you know, what, no matter what, go, we, we wore our best to church, dress well, not to show off, but because why? We are going to appear before the Lord God. It's in honor to God. You dress well because you respect the people you are speaking to. I try to dress well because I respect the people I'm talking to. Dressing carelessly means I have no regard for the people I'm talking to. So we have to honor God, honor the Lord's day. It says, and he shall honor him. Thank God. Not just the day, but honor him. So there is somebody behind the day. There's somebody. That is Jesus. That is God. Not just honoring the day. It's not just about the day, but it's about the person behind the day. So honoring the day, but honoring him. I said, not doing your own ways. That is not time to do whatever you want to do. It's time to put our own things aside. It's time to take on the things of God. Not finding your own pleasure. You know, some years ago, one leader, I said, oh, we didn't see you in church. He said, oh, I took my children to the park. I said to myself, wow, on Sunday, you're a leader in the church and you're taking your children to the park. Why couldn't you take them on a Saturday? Why Sunday? You know, say so he's been promising to take them. So why have you been promising them Sunday? That's not good, and that is not bringing up our children properly. You know, 
I have had parents say, my children, you know, I ask my child, you know, uh, where do, you, do you want to come to church or do you want to stay at home or do you want to go to your friends? And the child decides, I want to go to my friend. I want to stay at home. He say, okay, you stay. We are going to church. No, that's not good parenting. As far as God is concerned, though, I mentioned earlier about Abraham. He said he will command his household. Everybody in Abraham's family, even slaves, they had to serve God. They were all circumcised, by the way, adults. Everyone in Abraham's, because of the covenant Abraham had with God, every person in his family, every male person, including slaves, they were circumcised. To honor God. You know, I mean, for goodness sake, I mean, if you're a parent, don't be in, in, you know, in the attitude of giving children you know, option when it comes to serving God. Let them, teach them that serving God is a, is a duty. We are commanded to serve God. Hear ye the conclusion of the whole thing. Fear God and keep his commandment. This is the whole duty of man. That's what we did with our children. We brought our children, we told them, look, we want you to grow up going to church, and you need to get to the place where you are going to church, not because daddy said so, not because mommy said so, but because you have come to know for yourself that God said to go to church. That's why today, if I take my wife now, we travel anywhere, we know our children will be in church. In fact, our children, since they were born, since they were dedicated in the church, they've never missed a service unless we travel. Whether they are doing their degree, master's, whatever it is, they are in church. We've taught them, say, give God what is his, and he will bless your own. Hallelujah. Honor God, and he will honor you. God said in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 2. He said, not speaking your own words. And that's what goes for us preachers. We have preachers, they're talking whatever they want to talk. But the Bible says, he that is sent by the Lord speaks the words of the Lord. If you are sent by God, you speak the word of God. You get up, you say, God has called you to preach. If you are not preaching the Bible, then God, it's not God that sent you. We, we, I mean, I, I, I just get put off, really. Sometimes in social television, somebody gets out to preach, and throughout their preaching, they never open the Bible. Just talking and making reference to scriptures, but never opening the Bible. Jesus opened the Bible, even though he was the word. Open the Bible. Let's see what God is saying. You know, there's something about when you see something and hear it. It registers more and better. I don't care how educated or how knowledgeable you are. But when it comes to things, we honor God by reading his word. It's important that we read God's word and also hear it. But notice the blessing here, verse 14. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. Last week we looked at the meaning of the word delight, to take great pleasure in. Do you find pleasure in serving God? Or is it you find it like it's a chore? Oh, Sunday again. My, 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 my. That is serious. You know, if you do that with your job, okay, it's understandable. But many people don't do it with their job. You wake up 5 a.m., 6 a.m. every Monday to Friday. And you don't say, oh, this job again. <laughs> Why? Because money is coming in. But once a week, 
once a week. Sunday. No, that is not the right way to approach God. Amen? He created us. He said we should just give him time. And by the way, you notice, unlike the Old Testament, the Old Testament, the whole of the Sabbath day, they were to do nothing for the whole of that day. But our own, we picked a day, we come here to worship, after two, three hours, or whatever it is, you go home, you have all the remaining 21 hours or 22 hours to yourself. Is that not so? Yes, to yourself. So is it too much? <laughs> I don't know. If you know what Jesus Christ has done for us, Jesus took the time. He took the time to die even before his death. He spent time to pray, sweating. So there's nothing we can do that's too much. We are not necessarily paying for our salvation, but we are showing our appreciation to God. And by the way, one of the things that people don't really seem to understand is that we hide so much, too much under this grace, grace, grace thing that we think because we are under grace, we don't need to do anything. But there, there are things we have to do to activate grace. If not, grace will be there dormant. Paul was writing to the Corinthians. He said, do not have the grace of God in vain. You can have the grace of God in vain because you are not doing what it takes for that grace to manifest. It's like somebody that is called to preach. Let's say I'm called. God called me to preach. And then I don't take time to pray. I don't take time to study. Then I just come and get here. I want to preach because God called me to preach. No, it is studying the word of God and prayers that will activate that grace to teach. Or else you'll just be telling people stories. You might as well listen, listen to lecture, you know, lectures in the, in the university. That's what, you know, you can go to some of these colleges where they teach religious knowledge. That's just lecturing. That's not preaching. Now, in the New Living Translation, oh, by the way, let's finish that verse 14. The largest, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth. We want to get high. We want God to lift us up. But God says we are to honor his name, honor his work, honor his day. And the, the New Living Translation, uh, I want us to, uh, Vicky, just, just go, uh, leave that, leave that. I want us to go to Psalm 42. Scroll down to Psalm 42. This is very important. Psalm 42 in the New Living Translation. Oh, hallelujah. And uh, there's a reason why I left it on the screen, if you see. It says, for the choir director, for Gloria to see. <laughs> so that means the music people, you can do a song on this one. <laughs> All right? And actually, somebody has composed a song on this. As the dear pants for the water, so my soul longs after thee. Okay. So you can see this man made good use of that. So I, I, I hope our music people will do that. Verse 1. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. Ah, this is David, Psalm of David. And the Bible says that, you know, God referred to David as, you know, a friend. He was a friend of God, as a friend. David. And it is, you know, David 
learned to work with God. He was a worshiper. He honored God. Hallelujah. And he wrote this psalm. Verse 2. I thirst for God, the living God. And I love this sentence. When can I go and stand before him? Why, my, 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 my. I don't know how many people cannot wait for Sunday morning. My God, I can't wait to get to church. Do we have any few people in here like that? Who can't wait to get to church? When? My soul, my soul, my soul is longing for the living. When can, I can't wait to come and, and, and stand before God in worship. He said, day and night I have only tears. So that you're going through difficult times. While my enemies continually taunt me saying, where is this God of yours? Verse 4, my heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. Huh? For some people, this is just nostalgia, basically, when it comes to worship. You have left off your first love. For some people, thank God you haven't. I say you haven't, hopefully. If you know you have not left your first love, say amen. amen. But there's somebody here who is reminiscing and he, they, they are just kind of thinking back. Say, I remember how it used to be. You know, our former General Superintendent John Glass, I'll never forget he came to preach here some years back. He's retired now. And he talked about ashes. He said, all some people got is ashes. And ashes are an indication of a one-time existence of fire. Where you see ashes, they indicate, they show you that there was one time fire burning there. But now the fire is gone. So all you got is ashes. Ashes are not the fire. But they show that one time there was fire there. And that's all some Christians got. And they talk of, we used to. We used to. When I was in university, I was that. When I was in secondary school, I was that. And those of us that come from Africa, when I was in Africa, I was even an elder. When I was in Africa, we were the ones going for evangelism. When I was, we were even singing in the choir in those days. What about now? What about now? We don't want to be like the Bible says in the book of Psalms, by the rivers of Babylon. There we sat down and wept when we remember Zion. There are those that took us away to captivity, required of us a song, and those that took us away, they required mass and celebration from us. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? So the enemy has taken away your song, your instrument of worship you have hung on the willows. But it's time to pick up that instrument of worship again. Hallelujah. It's time. Because I believe that God is turning our captivity around. This year is a great year. There are some videos with time I will come and show you. To, you know, uh, if you are here on the Christmas day, there were some prophecies God gave me. And then on the 31st. You know? And I, I, after a few days later, I was listening to some messages. And I tell you, you know, very, very much in line with the things that the Lord inspired me to speak here. I'll bring some of the videos 
You know? So this year, there are good things, wonderful, great things are going to happen this year. Is it? In spite of what the devil has been trying to do. So I said that there is always good in every year. As much as there is always bad in every year. But if we are willing and obedient, we'll eat the good of the land. Pastor Lawrence has been saying this for years. So we want to be willing. We want to be obedient. And we're going to eat the good of the land. When God turned again the captivity of Zion, he turned their situation around. He said that we were like those that dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our lips with singing. Then the unbelievers, the, the hidden said, surely the Lord has done. He said, the Lord must have done something for them. And he said, yes, the Lord has surely done something for us. That's why we are rejoicing. And I believe that somebody is going to rejoice this year. Because their captivity is going to be turned around. Praise the name of the Lord Jesus. You've got to pick up your harp from the willows where you hang it. Your instrument of praise that you've put on the shelves, you're going to pick it back up again. Because God is going to be moving greatly this year. You don't want to be left behind. We want to move with him. And so we don't want to this kind of place. If you find your place where you, you know, yourself in a place where you are looking. Oh, I remember when we used to, I remember when I used to be in the prayer team, intercessory team. Pastor Lydia like this. We were the ones praying down, praying the glory down the anointing. Some people are looking the other way. <laughs> no, it's time to go back to the prayer team. Amen. Amen. God bless you, my sister. Amen. <laughs> uh-huh, you see? So it's time to go back to the prayer team. Hallelujah. It's time to go back to the music team and sing with joy, with passion, with zeal. It's time. You're doing evangelism. It's time to get back to the evangelism that you were doing. It's time. Pick up your harp. Pick up your instrument of praise. Because we are going to do a great work for the Lord. Say so he remembered. Look at this. I walked among the crowds of worshippers. Oh my God. Leading a great procession to the house of God. This person was even leading worship and leading people in worship. Great crowd. But, you know, unfortunately this is in the past. But you can bring that back again. The Lord was writing to one of the churches in the, in the book of Revelation. He said, you've left your first love. Say, repent. Go back to the place of your first love. He said, I love this. Let me take that again. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. Oh, my God, my God, my God, my God. This looks like these guys were having a great time in the Old Testament. Maybe even much more than, you know, some churches are having. Thank God we're having great worship in this church here. But you go to some churches, unfortunately, it's almost like you're attending a funeral service. <laughs> Even some funeral services are more lively. But this doesn't sound to me like some kind of, you know, where you, it's like you're singing a dirge or you're singing, you know, some of those. No, 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 no. You know, this is where people come to be exuberant in worship. I walked among the crowds of worshipers. What does it mean, crowd? That means everybody came to worship. Everybody came to worship. So a crowd of worshipers leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. And now he says, 
Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? And he answers himself, I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again. My Savior and my God. Hallelujah. Ask yourself, why, you know, over the years, people come, oh, Pastor, I don't feel like uh, this. I think I want to quit this uh, music. I want to quit this prayer team. I want to quit this. Uh, I don't feel like it before. <laughs> Something, if the fire has gone out, you need to add more wood. Hallelujah. Because your fire has burned until there was no wood added. You need to add wood to it. Ask yourself a question. Why am I feeling this way? You know, because sometimes I, I tell people, as a matter of fact, these things are usually, they are never external. They are from within. Because if, are, if you are alive in your spirit and working with God, you have time for prayers. You have time with God. All these external things are not enough to quench that which God has put within you, your fire within you. People blame outside things. If you work with God, outside things will not move you. If you put it, oh, some people are special. No, 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 no. It's not about some people being special. You trust the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Paul said that none of these things moves me. But he grew to that. And we can grow to that. You know, sometimes we, you know, we say, well, not everybody's faith is the same. But we've been singing this song for 20 years. When would your, would your faith go up? <laughs> yes, our faith may not be at the same level, but God doesn't want your faith to remain like that. Everybody must grow their faith. You have to grow your faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If somebody's faith, if your faith is down, then you have to build up your knowledge of God's word, because you cannot have faith beyond your knowledge of God's word. Any more that you can just believe something that you haven't heard. Can you believe something you haven't heard? You've not heard something, just believe it like that. Faith is based on what you hear. And hearing is by the word. When you hear the word, your faith will grow. When you spend time reading the Bible, your faith will grow. How do we come to believe that Jesus Christ is a healer? It's by the word. It's written, isn't it? That he can heal. There's power in his name. It's written. We've been delivered. Satan has no authority over us as believers. It is written. So the more you meditate upon these scriptures. So when you hear somebody, uh, that's why thank God, what Pastor Winner preached before he traveled. Some people will be saying, thank God he kept on emphasizing. It's not pride. When you begin to walk in the, the, the knowledge of God, it is not pride. As a matter of fact, God is proud of you. Remember, he was proud of Job. Said, there's nobody on the face of the earth like him. Satan said, ah, no, 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 no. <laughs> you have uh, surrounded him with protection. Uh, give me permission to touch him, and he's going to curse you. God said, you think so? Go and check him out. And Satan went and tried everything. Didn't work. And Job said, though he slay me, yet I will trust you. How about we come to that place? Because we have no option. You know, did you know that there's no option for your salvation? Jesus Christ is it. 
there is no option for your salvation. So no matter how tough the Christian life gets, you need to get to the place where there is, you know that there is no option because there is no salvation under any name except the name of Jesus. The Bible says there is no salvation in any other name except the name of Jesus. Forget about uh, political correctness and uh, criminal, all these kind of things they talk about, you know, that all roads lead to heaven. No, not all roads lead to heaven. Only Jesus Christ died to make a way for his followers. No other religious leader did. All other religious leaders died on their own. Jesus died to make a way for his followers. For there is no salvation in any other name except the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh my God. The Lord will help us. So I want to finish with this because of time. And by the way, um, that place, ask yourself the question, why do I feel like this? And quite often, if you check yourself, you have left off certain things that you were doing before. You check your prayer life. How many minutes do you spend in prayers? And you want to feel the same. How many t minutes do you spend in worshiping God? How many minutes do you spend in reading the word of God? And then you want to feel the same. There was a time you were praying for 20, 30 minutes. Try to worship, even in your bathroom, you're worshiping. You read the Bible for some 10, 15, 20 minutes, meditating upon the word of God. And you got up here. Now you have left off doing that. So your spirit is beginning to feel starved. Then you blame the surrounding. No, it is from within. You have left off doing things you were doing before. Because you cannot stop praying the way you used to pray. You cannot stop reading the Bible the way you used to read the Bible. You cannot stop praising and worshiping God the way you used to do and feel the same. So check what you have left off. The Lord said to that church in, in Revelation, you know, go and check out where you have, from where you have fallen and go back to doing the same works. Why am I casting? Why am I sold? Why am I feeling like this? We want somebody to give us the answer, but check within you. Oh, hallelujah. Let's finish with this because of time. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. And let us not neglect meeting together. Do you see that? As some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. 1 Timothy 3, on the screen, verse 14. These things are right to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but I, if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. I want you to take note of that. Number one, the house of God. It says also, secondly, which is the church of the living God. And thirdly, the pillar. Fourthly, ground of the truth. 
See how it qualifies God's house. This is what church is about. Any church that is not like that is not church. This is what church is. It's what? The house of what? God. God is the center. Is the, 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 the object and, and the subject of our worship. Everything. God is. And he says the church of the living God. Not just any kind of church. He says the pillar and the ground of the truth. Not just truth. But the truth. What did Jesus Christ say? Jesus Christ said what? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. In essence, the Bible is saying that the church, the true church of God, the house of God, is the pillar and ground of Jesus Christ. Where Jesus Christ is taught. Because Jesus is the word. Hallelujah. I want us to, and then finally, Psalm 122 verse 1 says, The joy of going to, I was glad when they said to me, Let us go into the house. What, how, how did you feel when your wife woke you up, uh, today we're going to church? Uh, leave me alone, I'm sleeping. How did you feel when your husband woke you up? How did you feel when your child came to you and said, Mommy, aren't we going to church today? You say, oh, keep quiet, you little boy. I was glad, Hallelujah. Anybody that encourages you to come to church, I tell you, you need to thank God for them. Because they are doing you a favor. Seriously. You know, the Bible says encouraging one another because the day of the Lord is at hand, it's approaching. So let's learn to honor God's house. I want to challenge you. Make, it a, make every effort to be in the house of God every time we have service, especially on Sunday. And God will bless you as you do that. Because he honors those who honor him. Let's rise on our feet for a minute.